on this picturesque block, in this manicured home, something evil, something terrifying, something horrifying is haunting Lionel. His mother. I thought I told you to spray this house. The place is infested with bourbon. Although she was a little strict. Look at this dust. It's an inch thick. He never wished her any harm. You look after me. Until... <laughs> Your mother's dead, Lionel. Now, whatever mom's got... Has caught on with the neighbors. You can pray. You can plead. You can beg for mercy. But nothing you can do will stop. Because how do you kill something that's already dead? Trimark Pictures presents a modern masterpiece of horror. Your mother ain't my girl! Dead Alive. Party's over. Hello and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast, episode 33, Dead Alive. I will be using the 98-minute version found on Amazon Prime. If you click play now... This podcast should sync with the rest of the film. And joining us today in the studio is Ben Waterhouse Say you? Hi. and Paul Emig. How you doing? Self-appointed Peter Jackson experts. And I like to start off every commentary with saying or finding out while we watch Skull Island, southwest of Sumatra. In what year is it? 1957. Closer to the microphone, please. 1957. Perfect. Ben, when was the first time you saw Dead Alive and what did you think? Oh, man, I was probably like 18 or 19. And it was... I mean, at the time, I was going through a phase with the only other guy I've ever met that liked this sort of stuff as much as me. So we had, like, this whole thing where we just went through, like, all of these classic gore and horror and comedy movies and stuff like that. And, I mean, it just blew me away. Because I, there was never, there, I'd never seen anything like this. And for a guy that grew up watching, like, Channel 39 movies, Sunday night movies, you know, like, all the Wu-Tang stuff, all this camp. And then to see this, you were just like, oh, wow, it's like a whole new world. Paul, what about you? You know, I was in college, and uh, and I don't think I saw it until maybe about five or six years after it had come out in the U.S. 
which surprised me because this kind of movie is right up my alley and is the kind of thing that we absolutely would have looked for on the uh, the video store shelves in the early 90s. Uh, but a buddy of mine said, have you seen this movie? Um, and I'm like, no, I haven't. And so we uh, we split a bottle of rum between us, uh, which I think helps uh, for a movie like this. And uh, man, I was I was <laughs> just blown away. You got to see it to believe it. Okay, so what I was uh, really encouraged by watching this the last week for the first time, because both of you have been after me for almost a year to try to get me to watch this, is this does have sort of a Indiana Jones type of opening to it. You know, we're on a foreign island, there's something supernatural going on, there's uh, uh, the Hovitos are running through the, the, the landscape and so forth. Well, you'll notice it's also Skull Island, which is a very obvious uh, reference to King Kong, which is something that... I know Peter Jackson was obsessed with uh, growing up. Of course, went on to make a big-budget remake of King Kong. But, uh, yeah, Skull Island, definitely an intentional reference to King Kong. And this has a King Kong ending. Yeah. It has to admit. That, and people don't necessarily see that when they see it because we're almost, I guess it's 90 years since King Kong came out. Next year will be 90 years. Just to put it into context, like the Rancor came out in, what was it, The Mandalorian or Boba Fett last year? Yeah. I mean, that's a King Kong ending to that whole series. Uh, the Marshmallow Man in the end of Ghostbusters, King Kong in- ending. The Statue of Liberty at the end of Ghostbusters 2, King Kong ending. The Big big Ass Spider at the end of Wild Wild West, King Kong ending. Like These, these are very uh, popular tropes that are used over and over again. And Jackson, of course, uh, uh, he actually bought a print. He spent $55,000 of his own money and bought a, a, like a true negative of King Kong. And he talked about it in his autobiography, or rather his biography that he had somebody else fill in the blanks for him. And he actually, when he was in Los Angeles, he found like a 16 millimeter print when he was a teenager. And he dropped some coin, like I think it was four or $500, so that he could take that home and, and play it in his, in his uh, living room. So why... What is going on here, Ben? Let us know. Okay, so this is, it's like you're saying, there's a lot of tropes involved in it, but I like it because he kind of flips them a little bit. So it is the Indiana Jones thing, but then it's also so over the top because this dude shows up from like a national museum. Immediately, he's like, I'm taking this. Somebody says something to him about it. He whips out a fucking machine gun and just starts murdering everybody. And then on the way out, you know, you got that zombie scene where it's like, oh, no, I was bit. Well, we must cut his hand off or something like that. Aha, well, you got bit again. And it's just, you know, literally starting off with just brutal murder and cutting people apart with a machete. And you've got to appreciate that in the movie. Yeah, the one, two, three setup that's really popular. Yeah. Now, uh, Jackson had only done two movies before this. The first one was the alien adventure flick bad taste 1987 and then the second one was meet the feebles uh which was i think hit video after uh, dead alive particularly in the united states so this is really his third one and i was really impressed with what i had seen in in the first two in terms of his ability to plan and his technical knowledge and I was not impressed with the story. No. <laughs> but we're not talking about a genre-rich story particularly matters. Right, right. You're looking at these credits, and you might see some familiar names. I know Richard Taylor, uh, credited as special effects coordinator, went on to win, I think, six Academy Awards for other Peter Jackson films. 
uh, winning Oscars for makeup, visual effects, and costume design. Um, so if, if this is a training ground, it's, it's, it's a pretty spectacular one for uh, just everything that's come out of New Zealand uh, cinematically in the last couple of decades. This shot right here with these trolleys, uh, all of this is, is a miniature. Yeah. It's, none of this is real. And, and I was really amazed at, at, at how effective that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, to show uh, Wellington in, in the late 1950s. And I, of course, had seen all of these old cars. I'm a, a huge fan of classic cars, of course. And cars are are a real, in short, supply in New Zealand. And if you want an older car, they're in even shorter supply. So the production budget of this is is more than twice of what the first two films cost. Right. I think it was $3 million. $3 million. $3 million, yeah. Do you have the gross? Uh, no, I think, uh, not the U.S. gross. I think it was about 250000 is one of the numbers I saw. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's worldwide or, or just New Zealand, but I did see a fun fact that when this came out in 1992, it had a higher per screen average in New Zealand than Batman Returns, which was the, the big kidding. blockbuster of the, uh, the day. Peter Jackson beats uh, Tim Burton. Yeah. No, how much of that is like a hometown boy makes good type of scenario? Yeah, you got to wonder, or... You know how how big is Wellington and how much <laughs> worked on this film. So was this the first Peter Jackson film you'd seen? No, I think I had seen Bad Taste first uh, and Heavenly Creatures uh, and The Frighteners, and and so um, you know he wasn't much of a brand name for me. Um, although it was, was kind of there weren't a lot of films from New Zealand, which is distinctly different from uh, Australian films. So I, I think it it was novel enough, but but no, it's a relatively new name to me. Ben, was this the first one you seen? Yes, yes. I watched them all totally out of order. I watched uh, this one first, and then I watched Meet the Feeble second, and I watched Bad Taste last in that, you know, so I basically went exactly backwards. But, I mean, this is, like I said, this is one of my favorite movies. It's it's something I think everybody should see, whether or whether they, whether or whether or not they enjoy the style of movie. It's definitely something that you want to say that you've seen, just so you know, you know. Uh, like it's fast pay. I mean, look. So they're starting off right now. They're introducing that girl, or Paquita, yeah. and she's going to end up being basically the the love interest or whatever. But he doesn't waste any time getting right into it. It's like automatically right off the bat. They set her up so fast that you can, you know, with the shoulder thing, yeah. like where the straps falling off. Like she's going to be the romantic interest. It's just the same way as like when you go to get the rat monkey. Like it's just bam, like right there, right then, condensed trope in like thirty seconds. And you've got everything you want, so like I don't, I don't know. I just don't think when you set up a movie in this vein, it's like you're saying the story isn't necessarily the most important. So you can put in all this stuff and condense it very quickly and have it have the same impact instead of like some like you know he's not he's not going after awards for this one. You can tell you know it's just a straight up passion project, and it's the one that he got the money for. So you know it's just kind of interesting to watch it play out and everything like that right and so for our listeners the uh his first film bad taste he shot effectively out of his own pocket or borrowing money from his family and friends and practically everybody worked on that film for free and he went to the new zealand uh, television commission and asked money for to finish that film because he'd been working on it for like five or six years and they told him to fuck off they were like no we're not giving you money for this so he he scraped up. Uh, he he met a guy named uh, uh, Jim Booth, who who closed some some picture deals. They got bad taste. They went to Con. They sold it at Con, 
it actually gained traction and people said wow this is a really bad film by a very capable person that was how it was basically sold like you have to see how the story is told and when i watched bad taste i clearly saw the dude had an enormous amount of talent with no money so what he needed therefore was money and so while they were waiting to get the money for uh, uh brain dead uh, or dead alive rather he he shot half of meet the feebles so that was the chronology. He couldn't get the money to finish Meet the Feebles until people had seen this, basically. So there's another one of those uh, streetcars that's actually, he made that in his basement uh, by hand. And the miniature set was actually completed in a studio. So all of this, to do a period piece is challenging. And this, this is pretty effective. Like obviously that house at a distance is not real. And the miniature of the house in the end is actually done very well. Part of the roof is constructed in a studio, and you can't really tell. It's, it's done very effectively. And, of course, uh, this is what we call in film a bottle episode. Most of the movie takes place in, in the house. So it's in, but it was all shot in one studio in Wellington. But I did like the, the airport sequence in the beginning. That was kind of like a replay of a Temple of Doom. Right. You know, like, you know, good luck, Dr. Jones. Lao Zay's laughing as he gets on the airplane. So you can kind of start to see that, I mean, Peter Jackson obviously used a lot of friends and family and, and people that uh, uh, that he knew on, on a lot of these films and, and then rewarded some of those friendships and that loyalty with, uh, hey. you know, kind of a in, in Lord of the Rings. So you see here Elizabeth Moody, this actress who plays mom, she will show up in Lord of the Rings. She's actually, uh, I think, Lobelia Sackville Baggins, one of uh, what <laughs> Bilbo's cousins in uh, in Fellowship of the Ring. So you might see her under some Hobbit makeup. Uh, we want looking closely in uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, and then Roger, who was the uh, the kind of handsome delivery man that uh, the Paquita initially fawned over, uh, plays Isildur in the opening shots. Really? Of Ring. Yeah, yeah, he does reward loyalty. Well, it reminds um... me of uh, Clerks that. Kevin Smith shot, of course. And here's the foreshadowing yeah. with the lawnmower. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Lawnmower will which, come into play later. Which which did have me thinking, like, why are we spending so much time with the lawnmower? And then, of course, an hour later, like, oh, okay. That's... <laughs> and the the mother running around with the knife menacingly, or, or yeah. not menacingly, but it's it's meant to sort of cast you into a different direction of what you think you, you might be running across. It's actually really well planned out. So I don't have the cinephile knowledge of the rest of the room, but I do know what's interesting is when you go and you watch this. So all the video games that have come out for like Dead Rising and stuff like that, always one of the main accessible weapons that you can use to kill zombies ends up being a lawnmower. And it's like a straight up throwback. So you've got, you know, you've got like the chainsaw arm and you've got the lawnmower and those are going to be some of your show me your best stuff are you serious i'm dead serious and that's I, fantastic because the thing one thing i do know about this informational wise is that they tried to give it a rating for the age group of 15 because the everything's so over the top so campy so just i mean it makes you want to laugh that they were like there's no way anybody's going to take this seriously enough that we need to put an 18 above on it and they tried to give it a, a 15 year old rating coming out of new zealand and they ended up turning back on it at like the last point and made it 18 and up, I think. Well, this movie is disgusting. Yeah. It's one of the most disgusting movies I've ever seen. 
you know, is it frightening? No. I mean, the the dinner scene or the lunch scene that's coming up here in about 20 minutes, like I, I couldn't watch it. Right. Yeah, it, it's just disgusting. But I think there's a difference in disgusting and not right for kids. Right. I mean, you didn't tell me that, that that children don't understand what disgusting is, you know, past the age of 10. So I got a big problem with the rating system in general. There's not really – this is probably not the scope of, for that <laughs> argument. What's unusual with. is I think we have seen a shift even in America in the rating system, not to go too off topic, that, you know, the movies that are getting the R ratings are the ones – that not are necessarily high on violence or gore or even sex, but like on smoking, on alcohol, on drugs, on things that impressionable people under 17 could see glamorized in movies and want to pick up on. Um, and I think, you know, just seeing a bunch of uh, gore coming from uh, a lawnmower, a spoiler alert, but we hinted at it, right? Um, you know, I think most even kids and teens know that that's not realistic. Right. And then this is uh, 1989, which is the, the same year that uh, License to Kill came out. And License to Kill is the last movie James Bond had smokes a cigarette in, mm. right? So, I mean, we this is something that's happening all over the world, not just uh, in New Zealand or in America. Yeah, it's like a shift in morality or perception and stuff like that. But I don't know, man. We had garbage pail kids. So, I mean, yeah. what's right, the difference, right? right? Or remember the cards with the serial killers on it there yeah. that I got so upset about, you know? I'll trade you my John Wayne Gacy if you give me your Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yeah, so this guy, correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah, this actor, Timothy Balmy? Yeah, so he was he played one of the uh, aliens in, in Bad Taste, and you see him uh, again. He's one of the voices in Meet the Feebles, if I remember correctly. Right. But the, the entire time I'm watching this, I just kept thinking over and over and over and over and over again. Not to get too common wealthy about it, but it reminds me of Charlotte Copley, mm. the guy from District 9. And then he was in. Uh, he played Murdoch in the in the A Team remake, and famously, the the horrible role he had as the villain in, in uh, Maleficent, right. or as we say, because he's Afro Connor, we say Maleficent. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't get that out of my mind. Actually, Peter Jackson actually one of the producers of District Nine. Really? Yeah. So he, <laughs> he, he threw some money towards that. Well, corner of the brain, did you pull that out of? Small world. That. Yeah, but he I mean he does is sort of reminiscent of that. Yeah. And so this actor went on to, uh, to kind of a long career in Australian TV, uh, only in one other real movie that I could see, which uh, also comes from a Peter Jackson script. Um, he plays a, a monk in the, uh, I think, 1100s who invents this flying suit, jumps off a tower with it and dies, uh, and then goes to hell for committing suicide. Oh, really? Uh, but then gets a chance to redeem himself. What's the name of this masterpiece? This, this is called Jack Brown Genius. Oh. Uh, this is a deep dive in IMDb to uh, prepare for this commentary. Not something I've seen. And here, you know, we get our first look at the, uh, the Sumatran rat monkey. No, this is brilliant stop motion animation. This is a good time to, to say that um, Peter Jackson was a, a huge fan of stop motion animation. He was a huge uh, uh, devotee, as you could say, of. Uh, of Ray Harryhausen, who did all the stop-motion animation of the, of the 50s, the 60s, Sinbad, and, of course, the big one being Clash of the Titans, which everyone loves or should. And he did all of this himself with an, with an assistant. Mm -hmm. this, was, this was not something that was professionally done. And like this, I think that was shot not in his basement but probably in his garage. It was, it was very well done. You talk about being a hyphenate. I mean, not only writing 
directing, editing, but also doing the miniatures and the stop motion animation. I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked at reading the biography. It is from a very early age. He was making stuff in his bedroom. He didn't have any room to put it. it was there, his parents were putting it in the attic. They were filling up the garage with all the stuff that he was making. He was showing it to everyone everywhere on the island who, who had uh, two cents to rub together, and they were constantly giving him money to make the stuff that no one ever saw the light of day with. But nobody wanted to have anything to do with it. Nobody in, in, the, in the New Zealand uh, uh, Television Commission or the, uh, the National Film Fund, uh, the, you know, he was just this strange kid in Wellington who just had all this stuff lying around that was really blowing everybody's mind away. But they just thought, well, you know, you're 15, 17. It's a fad. What you got, Ben? I was like, there's, I'm sorry. Some of this is like, these are the, these are the best parts of it. Like when she goes in there now, she's going to just, it, that's, that's great. I love the stop motion to where like the monkey just hit that thing, killed it immediately. And then the mom turns around and sets herself up, you know, like she's doing all this stuff. It lets you know, she's probably a terrible person. You know, she's at a zoo, just like crushing an animal to death because it bit her. Yeah, and most people are at the zoo, of course, are kids or probably right. watching this. And this is one of those situations where it's an unanswerable question. Like, who at the zoo opened the crate and saw this thing and thought, <laughs> let's put it on display? Let's put this on display. No, uh, yeah. I mean, you got to ask that. Like, at what point did you come across this thing where you're like out on some island somewhere with all these people that are like warning you about stuff and you're like, nah, give me the zombie monkey? <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it takes an Indiana Jones style mission to yeah, find exactly. this legendary creature. Let's stick it in some outdoor zoo in Wellington. Let's go see what's on Skull Island. That's not <laughs> ominous at all. And so, of course, this puts the plot in motion. Uh, mother's bite from this uh, this rat monkey. Yeah, and I was really surprised even when I hit the 45-minute mark about like how little gore that I had seen yeah. in the film so far. We built this up so much. And, right. and, and at this point, yeah, there's still, oh, that's nice, a bite and a couple of uh, you know hands getting chopped off. Oh, but that's kind of nice because it like ramps up to that last 30 minutes, you know, in that last 30 minutes, it's just like buckets and buckets and spray buckets. everywhere. Yeah. Yes. When I, I found this an amazing step back. So the first Peter Jackson film I had seen, of course, was The Frighteners. My wife and I had gone to see it and uh, I was rather in love with The Frighteners. I still hold the controversial opinion that Michael J. Fox, as much as I love him as an actor, I think he's miscast in that. And there are a couple of scenes that I would take out of that movie, but I I greatly uh, love that film. And I was really amazed that I had seen it and I had never heard of this guy, Peter Jackson. And then I'd gone into the video store and I had seen some of the other things. This was back when this was the only way that you could find out about other movies, right, right in the early to mid-90s. Well, even though I think that Frighteners was 95 or 96 or something. And that was the only one to really get a wide release in the U.S. Um, I mean, I think even Heavenly Creatures was kind of an art house film uh, in the early 90s. Uh, certainly different audience th uh, than, sure. than, than The Frighteners. But yes, yeah, so The Frighteners was the first wide audience that any Peter Jackson uh, film had gotten in the U.S. Well, and largely Michael J. Fox was really the only one that was, that was willing to touch it. Like he wasn't the, the first choice by far. Uh, but he recognized talent right away. And that's something that... Uh, I don't think people give uh, Fox enough credit for, you know, he knows what suits him and what doesn't suit him. I don't, you know, we disagree on that point. I don't think that film suits him very well. 
but I was really, really shocked to see that just the everything's how everything sweeps in the Frighteners. So when I heard that Peter Jackson was doing Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh, that's the guy who did the Frighteners. I am so in this. Mm-hmm. Had I seen these first three movies, I don't know if I would have held that same opinion. <laughs> right. That's crazy, man. Like, what? I'm just, I don't know. I still, like I say, I'll, and I've said it a bunch of times, like this, you know, you can see this is a young man. Like, this is a passionate dude. Like, he loves this stuff. And I feel like all the stuff, like, the, and I, I, I'm not trying to contradict you on the Frighteners or everything like that, but man, to step out and start doing these bigger Hollywood budget movies, it's just kind of like, like 1992 Kiss albums, you know what I mean? Like, just completely sold out, like, soulless, like, you know, (laughs) and this was the sort of stuff, it's like you're saying, you had to go to the... You had to go and you had to know somebody to find out other things that piqued your interest. There was no Wikipedia. There was no anything like that. There was no IMDb. Yeah, so you had to go to, like, Suncoast and, like, talk to this guy. Because the guy at Blockbuster, he was just going to be like, well, if you like this, here's a similar horror movie. Or here's another, you know, he might turn around and give you, you know, Revenge of the Living Dead or something like that. The best thing that you had was Leonard Maltin's big-ass thick book, the Encyclopedia of Film, that, you know, he was updating. But that was very quickly impossible like you would hollywood was cranking out just hollywood in in the 80s and 90s they were cranking out 250 movies a year like it is impossible to put all of that into a a book you would need multiple volumes every three to five years and that's not including the uk like you were saying australia particularly in the 80s was a was a movie machine they were kicking out you know and i'm not talking about movies with just george miller right you know they were kicking a lot peter weir could get uh, practically any any movie made that he after uh well i wouldn't say picnic at hanging rock but after gallipoli which was an international success in the commonwealth not so much in the u.s you know so the the, the anzacs were, were were not unknown for making uh art i don't know if i would go so far as to call this art but it's a certain <laughs> it's a certain type of art. it is certainly art yeah <laughs> like, i think so I mean, yeah, like you're saying, like look at all the effort and, and the, just the attention to detail even put in on the models and stuff like that. How can that not be art? You know, like some people, uh, some people enjoy metal, some people enjoy country music, but just because somebody comes out with like ambient noise music or something like that doesn't, you know, it's just different stuff for different folks. Like this is, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is a masterpiece. Like. After this, everything got a lot more gory. Like, people started to look at this as an actual thing that could be done. I mean, like, because prior to this, so if you had something, you would have, like, Italian horror movies were kind of like the thing, right? Or like the Agentos or the Jellos. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, so serious that at a certain point, you're just like, uh, oh, I see that. And even even in America in the 80s with, the, like, the Silent Night, Deadly Night type of stuff, yeah, the, the Friday the 13th. Stuff, yeah. right. But I think and these, this is not that. No, no, this is not. And I think this is, gosh, I mean, I think of just growing up looking at Fangoria magazine and just kind of seeing all the pleasure centers that that hit. You know, this this absolutely connects with. Uh, and so, yeah, you're going to see a lot of things. You, you know, <laughs> you see your face get ripped off there. You're about to say something, then I saw it. Yeah, no, I was oh, just, yeah. this is, yeah, this is, like you say, this just hits all your pleasure centers and stuff like that. It's like, when you look at the Fangoria, what do you, like, 
What do you remember from Fangoria? And somebody with a face off. Yeah, and yeah. then like a naked alien. Like it was the first time, you know, like you're flipping through the magazine and there's like, oh, there's gore. And like, oh, look, they got a girl painted green and she's naked and stuff. It's the same thing with like heavy metal. You know, you're looking for like, right, heavy metal, the magazine, of course. Like, so you're looking for like just massive destruction. You're looking for, you know, offbeat humor. You're looking for outsider stuff because at that point, at least in my life, you realize... You know, I'm kind of into the outlier indie sort of things. Like, I'm not really... I mean, I love John Hughes, don't get me wrong, but, you know, Pretty in Pink isn't exactly my kind of thing, you know? And then you start to realize it's like, well, shit, I like to watch people blow up, and I want it to be funny, you know? Yeah, nothing wrong with John Hughes, but that's just a different vibe. Yeah, it's just a whole different vibe. vibe. Yeah. Which about kind of influence and kind of this, you know, laying the, the groundwork. I think I know Simon Pegg said this was... What are the most influential things in him making Shaun of the Dead? Well, that that makes a lot of sense. And, of course, being Americans, we're kind of we're, we're also like out of the loop on a lot of these Commonwealth ideas. Like if you lived in the UK or you lived in Australia, you lived in New Zealand and a handful of other countries, you'd be much more in tune to what was going on. Even if you lived in South Africa, it was one step removed. But I, I think that's one of the reasons why this wasn't necessarily very big here. No, I think this would be a, a video store cult classic. Yeah. Um, and, and that's only if you found an independent video store with some cool posters on the wall. Again, Blockbuster, you know, even if it had it on the shelves, um, it was going to get buried in, in just kind of other titles that were kind of unrecognizable. And even the, the tone here, this is the scene that I just... Oh, this uh, is the part. I can't, yeah. This is where it starts. Yeah. I can't stand this. I don't think I can watch it, but... Yeah, this is this is way removed from you know one of one of my favorite stories I've heard uh, Peter Bogdanovich say the director was uh, he knew uh, Alfred Hitchcock and he interviewed him for one of his books and Alfred Hitchcock went off on like this 15 minute thing about how Paramount Pictures uh, built him a rubber torso that looked real and that when you stabbed it it actually bled and he he used it in a in a shot and I don't remember for what film I think it was Frenzy. And Hitchcock was like getting like really excited and animated when he was telling the story, and Bogdanovich was getting more and more uncomfortable about it. <laughs> and so then uh, Hitch said, "Yeah, I showed it. I cut it into the film, and we had a screening. And the, all the producers like, you cannot put that shot. And, like this is before so uh, of shots you can't put. Oh, in, this is there. disgusting. This is disgusting. And you've already seen that the pus go into the, yeah. the yeah. custard, and now you see the ear. <laughs> all right. So you, you know what this re- reminded me of, and I'm sorry to even bring this film up. Ben and I have briefly discussed this a couple weeks ago paul have you seen solo oh my goodness just the trailer have not gotten out to see that yet. okay so there's a scene in solo that's it's i wouldn't compare this to solo to this level uh but in terms of the this is making me sick you know there was a there was a i guess you could salt call it a, a shit feast in solo uh, and, <laughs> manja, and manja. none of it <laughs> None of it was real. It was all chocolate. And there was, a, there was an actor who was eating the chocolate, and she was getting sick, and she threw up on set while the cameras were rolling, eating chocolate. So you can, you can be told it's chocolate all day long, but mentally she just could not uh, prepare her physical side for this is chocolate. And I was there when I was watching this. I know that's fake. I know that right. skin is not real and all this gloop and stuff. As you see here, mom just ate the dog. But see, that's what, like, so for <laughs> oh stuff like God. this. Oh, my God. That's what makes it like punk rock almost. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not intended to be interpreted as real. Like, 
I love this. I could watch this eight times in a row and never miss a scene. But like Salo, I've seen it twice. Like, and that's that's all I'm ever going to watch. You know, it's like Cannibal Holocaust. It's like one of those movies you want to watch, but man, is it a tough watch? Like, because yeah. it's 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 the realities there. You know, this is. This is basically rat fink, you know what I mean? It's like a dude in like a souped up car ripping down the road, you know? It's just so, it's so campy, it's comedic. We see the, uh, the, the appearing, disappearing, reappearing bloody footprints. Yeah. Uh, some continuity errors here. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it's funny, you know, in showing kind of some of these classic movies to, to our kids and action movies, you kind of know the trope. Uh, people are going to get destroyed by the thousands, but the dog's going to live. <laughs> don't worry the dog survives well well, we'll hear <laughs> the dog didn't make it very far well that's one of my favorite uh, stories from the ancient world is when everybody was fleeing the mongols <laughs> these people are bad how bad are they they're killing the dogs that was that was the warning in persia the persians are like dogs those sons of bitches so just to to do some deconstruction here Look at this slight camera move to the left. And, of course, this is all, uh, we're watching it in, in the frame that he shot it at. This has not been formatted to fit your screen. Close up. And then you go to a, a push in. And beforehand, when we first entered this room, there was actually like a tracking shot across the floor. Every scene in this film, almost every shot in this film, the camera moves. And... Jackson just has this uh, ability to walk into a set and see where to put the camera and where to take the camera. And this was all shot under 30 days. This was not a huge shoot. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is oh, so disgusting. Yes. Ripped her head backwards. And, of course, you're turning on the radio, and then the radio, everyone's getting confused because what they hear is not what's actually going on. So, anyway, the, at, in the finale, there's a zoom. There's actually a, a push-in with a track backwards. That is, legendarily, one of the most difficult things to do with a camera ever. It is so rare that it is rarely attempted. Kevin Smith did one in the film uh, Dogma. And he fucked it up, and it's still in the sh it's still in the movie. And if you li listen to the commentary track, he's like, yeah, "That's my attempt to do a zoom." Now, in reality, he's not really doing the zoom. His his DP is doing right, the right. zoom. This is extraordinarily difficult. The, the famous one, of course, is Jaws. Now, that's someone that had unlimited time, unlimited money, unlimited resources on an already over budget, over scheduled film. And they took the time to lay out like a, a 30 or a 40 foot track and, and put on a super lens to, to accomplish that. That's in the best of circumstances. But I was really surprised when I saw this zoom, like other than it being like cropped in kind of close, it was a perfect zoom. Right. And this kid never went to college. You know, right. He never went to film school. He never took a course in film. He figured it all out himself. <laughs> so Jackson has like a, I won't say a perverted quality about him. We did, as we saw him like get in between her legs there, but but it, it is definitely like a, a very sexual sense of humor. Oh yeah, totally. Like I would go absolutely and say he's totally a pervert. <laughs> like, 
it's got this innocent kind of like almost like carnival fun atmosphere. That's what I, I think mean. About like the, the Chinese throwing star that knocks back her head like any kind of yeah. <laughs> carnival throwing game. It's, I mean, so like I said, I'm not the cinephile y'all guys are, but when you look at everything, I mean, it's got the same setup is that it's, when you go into the kitchen, it's got all the greens and the colors and the way that he shoots things and everything like that. And then it does have clearly that underlying story that it's like, here's a guy that's being oppressed by his mother. And throughout the movie, the zombies are like the kind of the way that he expresses himself is getting out from that maternal thing. And then, of course, there's the end scene where she's like trying to shove him back in her. You know, it's like not subtle at all. No, no. but but, <laughs> but it, it went there, and you. But it went there, you know. <laughs> and it's like you could say, well, you could try to intellectualize it and sit here and be like, oh well, you know, it's this story. Like I said, he's trying to escape his oppressive mother, but really, it's just it's just exploding people. It's just you know, like what was it like a liver that fights somebody at some point? <laughs> I, I, I think the entire digestive system. Yes, some of the things to come here. Well, now that's a very interesting point, Ben, and I, I wanted to get to that eventually. But you know, Jackson does have an undercurrent in every film that he does, uh, probably accepting bad taste. I I did read somewhere that bad taste was was really about the New Zealanders' uh, fear of 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 aliens, uh, not not like real aliens, but just you know uh, foreigners coming over to to the to the islands. I don't know if that's particularly very true. <laughs> I think it's just about aliens. You know, now the the film Aliens, the, the sequel, that is definitely about xenophobia, for sure. And Vietnam. So reading a little bit about this, I think mean, this this did kind of come love the co-creators of Bad Taste. I think it all wanted to make a zombie film. Right. And and I think it spent about 3 years writing and rewriting um this until you get to the point that we have have this movie here well and i love this uh, this guy who's kind of like a pseudo nazi doctor oh, yeah, you see the swastika on his sleeve straight up nazi. he has a swastika on his sleeve yes yeah. you see through the rip there no i didn't see he that away well yeah. he's kind of it's almost like he's got like a prussian monocle with that that yep, ocular yeah. device but the real thing that got me was uh, this this was brilliant when he's standing up against the wall he had those horns coming out of his head like he was the devil mm-hmm. like that is some brilliant shit it's like uh, Winona Ryder's got this moment in uh, the middle of Heather's where she's sitting in front of a, 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 a oh, they're in that therapy session because of the kids have died. And she's sitting in front of like a, uh, like a changeling, like a, like a butterfly. And that's the moment that her character turns in the film. She's like, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. Like, that was, that was very, that was obviously planned. I didn't see the swats gone asleep. So he's gotten animal tranquilizers to try to keep. But does he? (laughs) And wearing kind of like some sort of... Oh, my God. Yes. The whole needle thing throughout the entire movie. The needle, needle, needle. Oh, yeah. And I'd watched this in two sittings. I watched 45 minutes and had to go to sleep. And then the next night I watched it and I was... There you go, the needle up the nose to the brain. Yeah. Well, in the nose, in the arm, in the eye. I think there's a whole subset of, you know, kind of horror fans that can, that can watch somebody get ripped up, but not watch a shot or blood being <laughs> drawn medically. And so I, I think this even gets those people. 
Like, all right, if you weren't squeamish for this, here's really? a needle in the eye. There's a lot of there's a lot of movies like that that it's like so it's like I was saying about suspense. Like you, so you watch certain Argento movies, and what's the scene is like the the glass is getting ready to go into the eyeball. Oh, and that's yeah. like the most terrifying scene out of that. Which one whole was that? Movie. Was it Cannibal or, or um, I th- something? Uh, I want to say there was one with that long shot of, of like the was the splinter. Yeah, yeah, it's like a splinter so of glass getting ready to enter somebody's eye. Yeah. And it's like out of all the terrible stuff you watched, where it was like walls bleeding, witch houses, and all kind of that's other ballet dancers freaking out. You know, that's the thing. Well, and it, that's got a history in cinema. Um, even in the in the silent era, Salvatore Dali did a did a film with the Malays brothers in which they they made one of the first uh, heads, fake rubber heads, and they they had a a real actor and and a a barber who was supposed to shave a patient, and the, the barber had a straight razor, and then of course there was a quick cut to the close up, and and those were not standard issue in in silent in the silent era in the twenties. And they dragged the razor blade across the the rubber doll's eyeball and split it open, and the audience did not realize that that was fake. It would it caused a huge controversy. Nice. And it was a two second shot. <laughs> like everybody's coming. just oblivious. Right. <laughs> she's trying to keep up a ruse that mom's in the hospital. And she gets hit <laughs> by the trolley and through yeah. the closed. Well, obviously, there's jealousy going on between the mother and the would-be girlfriend, which I appreciate. And some other errors. I think you're just good looking at IMDb. A lot of Coca-Cola signs, even though Coca-Cola didn't make its way to New Zealand until the 70s. Oh, yeah. Like there's a couple anachronisms in here. But all in all, I mean, it looks like it could be from the 50s. Very few obvious anachronistic touches here uh, i'm actually very impressed with the, all of the period costume design and set design and 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 this guy the 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 episcopalian minister here just i don't know why just really reminds me of john cleese i can see that with the job yeah, with camp. The yeah. <laughs> i'm just waiting a moment I'm, I'm just waiting for him to crank out no the people's front of judea <laughs> So this fucking guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to love that right there. Uh, Uncle Elvis is what I nicknamed him. I was, I mean, we need a villain other than the grandmother. Grandmother's not really a villain. There's there's a subtextual thing going on. She's a, she, as a zombie, she's a villain. But this guy is really the villain of the film. I just, I don't know. There's like a lot of stuff that you could look at in here and you could say, well, there's a point to it, but I think it's really, it's, the movie's about the overall picture in this one. Like, you shouldn't focus on any of the smaller details, because the whole thing with his mom, that's just to move along the gore. Exactly. That's just to get you to the point. Like, they introduce the cheesy, campy, like, uncle, no good guy. Well, you need to have somebody in. that you're rooting to get ripped apart. Right. Yeah, you just, it's it's all just plot devices so that we can do fun stuff. Well, it works out. And, and that's that's no different than than any other filmmaker, particularly in in Asia. Jackie Chan spent an entire career uh, collecting stuff out of uh, magazines that he had on his his workboard. And when he had enough to put into a movie, then he would write the script that went around those that cool shit that he wanted to do. 
That's just no different than what Jackson is doing. Said, I want to make a zombie experimented film. upon here. I want to have a sick porridge dinner. I want to. I want to put a light bulb in somebody's head and light it up. You know. And you hear you see the the director cameo. You see the uh, lab assistant there is Peter Jackson. Him? Yeah. Yeah. No, I did not know that. <laughs> and he Holy eats the sandwich. sandwich out of that. <laughs> well, I'm so used to seeing him with a beard. Yep. No, I had no clue that was him. <laughs> he was actually one of the one of the rare times I was actually laughing. When I first <laughs> right. saw it was I thought it was really good. He, he is like a Hitchcock type of uh, cameo right. whore, if you want to say. Like he, the, my favorite one is, I think, is in Return of the King. Where he's one of the pirates, and he gets right. hit three times in the chest and falls over and dies. And I just didn't recognize him without the beard. Right, right. And, uh, he in bad taste. He's got a, like a really good I was role. Say, he's one of the leads, yeah, yeah. And I could, you could really see him, particularly as he's running through the forest with the axe in his hand. I was really taken aback at how how well he was able to put himself um, over the line in that way. A lot of a lot of directors can't do that. I wonder what church authorized them to of course it's more than likely a set right um, the uh there we go there right, right into the nose and she's alive hey it's the it's the resurrection right yeah, here yeah. at the church the zombie jesus that's that's about as deep as that goes we're not yeah. talking about something that's it's not like uh Oh God! Who is it? Um, in the graduate, Dustin Hoffman slapping the glass with his hands out. Going, yeah. Don't marry him! Don't marry him! Oh look, there's a Jew waving his hands out and <laughs> waiting to be crucified by the by the masses. Not quite that heavy, but like you say, Ben, it's just a vehicle to yeah, to the gross out. It's like, so when they go over all that stuff with the needles and stuff like that, there's a scene, you can, they don't, they don't really push it. You don't notice, but he accidentally, the doctor gives him a stimulant instead of the, right. yeah, so it's like, right. that's where all this comes from, but you could miss it like that, and then you wouldn't understand why she keeps modifying and getting more aggressive and stuff like that, no matter how much crank they give her, because he's shooting her up with like zombie steroids, basically. So this, this scene actually led to a lawsuit. Um, apparently, uh, the shooting in a real cemetery, and I guess kind of the the rookie mistakes of not clearing things. You know, being able to see some actual people's graves, um, really, as a as a film set, and some families being like, "No, you did not get our permission to shoot our loved ones' graves." Um, oh, <laughs> in in this way, specifically in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did read about how they, when they when the distributor released it in America, he didn't get permission for. Uh, brain dead. Well, I think there was a movie or dead, called Dead Alive. There was there a was... movie called uh, A Brain Dead. Um, you know, it's, you know, if you go on IMDb, you can actually see the trailer. It's a 1990 horror movie that that actually has both Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. Um, oh, which I remember there was a time when everybody in the world was confused about which one was Pullman and which one was Paxton. Um, I don't Savages. know how I I don't know how I missed that trailer because that looks <laughs> spectacularly <laughs> horrible. Um, but but it's it's worth watching. But that movie did come out in the U.S. 
um, you know, low budget horror movie about two years before Brain or before uh, this was made, about three years before this released uh, in the U.S. And so I think there was a recent movie called Brain Dead, mm. and so this uh, had to be had to be changed. I don't know if it had to be, but um, they changed it to Dead Alive to to not because there was the time frame was so close, and they they didn't get the rights to the other to the other one. There you go. A, a lot of movies or movie companies that they'll they'll waive the the fee to name it after something that they've had if it if it hasn't been too long. More obviously, if it's in the same studio. There you go. This is just there. wild. An extanguinated corpse. Yeah. And I like the kind of teenage greaser threat. This is so bizarre. But you know, this is only one step away from an orc. Or right, maybe, or maybe right, two. exactly. Yeah. In fact, you have a, a lot of these bit characters uh, did go on to play orcs. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, that's something that doesn't particularly surprise me because the, the Lord of the Rings production it lasted for over a year and it soaked up every fucking resource on two continents. You, you Shoot, right, like probably it probably did. Yeah, it was crazy. It was two hundred million dollars for. Here. Yeah. Divine intervention. <laughs> this this is. I'm sorry. I, like, this is amazing. Like the the oh another needle. The I think kung, it was a third needle shot. Oh the a, the kung fu preacher. Yeah, yes. it's Kenny Rogers, man. That's the uh, that's the preacher that knows how to fight and come back and do all this other I stuff. I kick ass for the Lord. I kick wow. ass for the Lord. There's a movie uh, called <clears throat> Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. That I, like, <laughs> Basically, it's just this. Like, that's what it is. It's like Jesus comes out, and then he starts fighting these vampires. It's very, very similar to this. Love the twist and rip the arm off. Yeah. (laughs) The Bruce Lee uh, (laughs) foot tap there. I like the the purple robes. Yeah. Because it's still the, the majesty, the imperial. Where did they find this guy? (laughs) 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 Then the head flies off. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, we know that's foam, but it still is. Oh, so he gets bit. He gets bit in the end. Now the Kung Fu zombie is the one we all fear. For one last redemptive act. (laughs) Oh... (laughs) It's it's pointing to heaven. Yeah. yeah. So now the numbers grow. The numbers of the uh, the dead alive or the brain dead, instead of just being the mom and the nurse. And so, what does he do? This this was just bizarre. <laughs> to me. They had to still be fed, you know, right? You've just got to keep a bunch of zombies sedated for the rest of the summer because it's real. It's so brutal. And the 
fact that he's just trying to teach them or reteach them. Oh yeah. my god! Uh, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> the food to the cut in the throat. The dinner table manners. Is... <laughs> and then the spoon to the back of the head. That's just. Yeah, and she's trying to feed her through the slit in her throat. <laughs> I do remember people at the time even I, I wasn't wasn't Fellowship of the Ring, but I think it was the two towers. People were starting to complain about the the gore in in the Hobbit movies. And then here you really start getting the uh Oh God. <laughs> Again, like I will out and out say he is totally a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Meet the Feebles is probably the worst I've seen of the sexual behavior of on screen that he's directed. This guy with the the fat Elvis with the checked jacket and the bouffant. Yeah. Yep. Here do Uncle Elvis. It is amazing how his jacket matches the tile on the floor. Oh my God! Like, who thought of that shot? Yeah, I mean, the toilet shot in there. Well, in the uh, the steer on the belt buckle, yeah. right above the like, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen anybody shoot a urination like that before. Well, there's a lot of attention to detail and everything. The way he does, like, so when he introduced the Noxy Doctor earlier, the first thing you see when he starts to talk is that they went out of their way to put something in his mouth where it's like all this stringy, slimy shit while he's talking. So you're immediately disgusted by that guy. When you meet Uncle Elvis over here, they make sure that they put like some sort of a blotch that looks kind of herpetic on the side of his mouth. You know right. what I mean? They give him that stupid steer, big ass belt buckle so that you're immediately like, I hate these people. Like <laughs> these. Well, yeah, it's, it's like he's got uh, syphilis or something. Like, he's got warts, oral warts, which is, there's no there's no reason for him, like, who is giving this guy action? Yeah. Right, right. right. And even since the last scene, I think some of those mouth sores have developed. Yeah, because when he starts off, he's only got this part. And then yeah. the movie progresses. And he does have that, he that little oxygen it. thing that he kind of sprays in. and Oh, yeah. And in the battle, it's bad. It's like half of his cheek is yeah. all of a sudden... So I think he's flying up to Thailand and having good weekends. <laughs> that's that's just a guess. <laughs> Your dad's old stag movies. Yeah, maybe you're right, Ben. He is a pervert. Okay, notice that when he's talking about, yeah, the one with the donkey and the chambermaid. Like, <laughs> that's not oh, right. that's not something you just jump into. That's a lifetime of knowledge. Well, just right his there. his later films are not known for having like this sort of super sexual side to it. You know, particularly Lord of the Rings is not known, or The right. Hobbit for that matter. No, They're right. not known for having that sort of sexual side to the films. So it's just sort of weird to see that. And of course, Meet the Feebles is like just to the nth degree of just weird. Well, I think after the Frighteners, I mean, was the Frighteners the last really original project that he did? I mean, everything else has been an existing property. Oh, you mean that he wrote? Um, you know, from both all the Tolkien stuff to King Kong, even, uh, King Kong, or Lovely Bones. Yeah, the face stretch. Face just gets ripped. Off. Oh yeah, you got to have some faces ripped off here. Chew it on the face. Oh my god. Here's another zombie movie that was released. I'll have to look at the name up and tell you later. But it has a similar, like it has a lot of Peter Jackson influence, <clears throat> but it's 
It, it made me think of it because it's got that same scene. So, like, you're watching these zombies, like, make out. From their perspective, it's just, like, two high school kids. Like, oh, yeah, and it's, you know, like, super sexy, you know, general 1990s BS. But then from the outside where everybody's watching these zombies make out, they're, like, tearing each other apart and, like, chewing each other's faces off and stuff like that. Roll your chair closer. Maybe that'll... Of course, I love movies like this where you get to look in the background and say, oh, a phone booth. Yeah. A tranquilizer. <laughs> and she's uh, Spanish, if I remember right. correctly. She's from Spain. Didn't do much more in English, uh, but did have a, or does have a long career as a TV actress in Spain. Oh, so she's from, really Spanish. She's yeah, not a New no, Zealand from, actor. From, oh, really? From Spain, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, she did amazing things with this role. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine there was a long line of actresses just willing to jump in front of the camera on this project. And then but I could see her to the rescue. But like a lot of people say, acting is acting, and acting. A job is a job is a job. Right, right. This guy is hysterical because every time we see him, we, he's talking about when, what sports he was playing and how well he did on the. You know, the rugby field or the gridiron or whatever. Like most people, he just talks about himself. This is just weird. Family of bizarreness. Oh, yes. You realize... The loving union of the preacher and the nurse has resulted in the uh, the entire baby. baby thread <laughs> was almost too much for me. Just, I mean, other than it, it occurred apparently within a couple hours of conception. Yeah. So no umbilical cord here. You'll and see the umbilical cord. He's return. holding a rat, which is obviously he was looking for something to eat. He found a rat. Peter Jackson has a thing about rats. Yeah, they're in several of his films. That's Trevor the Rat was the uh, uh, the bad guy in Beat the Feebles. <laughs> you see the umbilical cord back, actually becomes kind of an important p- plot device here. Yeah, he should have killed it here, but he he chose not to, and that winds up being a problem later on. But that's with that's with everything. He should have killed his mother mother when he had a chance, or the preacher, or whoever. I didn't understand this at all. Like, you're just going to take this bizarre baby to the park where you're going to have problems with it. I just found this very strange. It's like the whole baby thing is completely unnecessary. But, I mean, from an entertainment standpoint, so worth it. Like, I think this is one of the last shots of the movie, you know, that I think he kind of came back and and added this in reshoots. It was one of the more expensive and and challenging shots for him uh, to do the uh, the carriage kind of getting out of hand. Well, anytime you see a carriage in a movie, your 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 mind immediately goes to uh, Potemkin, and like, are they trying to recreate Potemkin? Of course, this one rolls down a, a hillside, so I think there was some part of that, but it wasn't fully realized. I just don't know what the point was. There's like, he, I mean, again, not to read too deep, and is he trying to reconnect with humanity or you know, whatever? But 
there's no relating to this thing. It's a zombie. There, there's, baby. there's not. Yeah, I, I think it's maybe just another. Oh no, they went there, kind of thing. Probably. But it was also one of those situations when you're when you're faced with a production like this. I remember uh, Dana Carvey has this great story about how he and Mike Myers had had written material for the first Wayne's World movie, and Lauren Michaels saw it and said, "Oh, that's great!" and he gave him money. He says, "Go out and shoot." So they shot it, and they came back and they edited it together, and they had like thirty minutes. <laughs> so right. they had to go out and like he had need more stuff. So they went out and they shot more, and they came back. And they had like an hour. Lauren Michaels is like, you need at least 90 minutes. So it could be one of those situations. Could be one of those things, right? yeah. Like you can't have an hour and 15-minute movie. You need at least – and this is 98. <laughs> but I could have I done without these eight minutes here. I mean, it's pretty funny. I mean, if you wanted to be comedy, like real yeah. intellectual about it, you'd say, well, look, so he's got the family. The family, you know, now he's got this whole zombie family down there. You need a baby to complete the family in a sitcom kind of a setting and everything like that. And then when they bring him out, it's got a bunch of cool shots in there that are totally worth it. Like when it's looking up from the bramble, I guess you'd call it, and it's showing like the that he's got barbed wire holding this baby in there. And you get, like, the funny shots where he's punching a baby in front of the old ladies and stuff like that. Most of which seem to be perfectly fine with it, except for yeah. these two hags on the bench. And they're not really doing much. They're just like, ah, oh, what a terrible person that he just punched that baby in the face six times, shoved it in a bag, and continued to beat on the bag. Nobody's, you know, they're all just oblivious as to what's going on. Well, and there is, like, I, I am picking up, like, this sort of criticism of conservative New Zealand society, which you would find anywhere in, in, in any point in time. You're going to find people like, who are you to make this zombie movie here? Or, you know, because when he made Bad Taste, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew people were going to, like, why are you making this film? And that's why he called it Bad Taste. And it doesn't have any, you know, aliens from outer space or any type of... Uh, more fitting title, of course. Wait, now he's got more. Right, more syphilis scars. Yeah. He's definitely a lech. I don't know if I can say that as a politically correct to say. It's short for lechery for our listeners. Look that up. Yeah, it was like in the first scene when he came in, he was trying, he was putting his hands in that real uncomfortable way on Paquita's shoulders and like, hey, you know, like, just immediately. Oh, it's creep. Total creep. So, I mean, we should give props to this actor for for playing that role to a T, complete with the belt buckle, which you must have gotten on some vacation to Texas. Right, right. It's interesting, in fact, they had a shot there, the kind of the rotary dial, um, and kind of looking things up, I realized or, there was something about it being backwards, I guess, to us, but down under, that is it the is way backwards. rotary dials worked. They did kind of go from nine to one. And they still drive on the left side of the road. Yeah. Finland, and I guess toilets do rotate the other way. I really, don't know. I don't know. That, is that the urban legend or not? Oh well, the... well, be, well, because of the uh, you're in the southern hemisphere. If you, if all things being equal in your design, the water will flow backwards if it's introduced the exact same way. That's the thinking. Yeah. So, it spills over to rotary phones. I learned that from the X Files. I learned that I learned from, from the Simpsons. Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Haven't tested it. Yeah. Next time I'm in Australia, I'll give it a shot. The baby now tied to the nurse mom. This whole play with the bottle just 
it's kind of like the the mother running around with a knife in the beginning the bottle of poison being just a constant threat then you see the party that uncle les is throwing and you realize this is kind of the start of uh the start of something special <laughs> oh this is gonna go bad this is very bad <laughs> Well, see, there you go. That's the cool thing because they're introducing him, and like, so he's trying to take the house, right? And he's doing all these threatening things and just being a general, you know, dick for no other word. Invites all his, you know, junky friends over, alcoholic friends over that are, you know, like basically low lifes and shit like that. And they're gonna go around and start just doing lechy crazy stuff and. You know, breaking apart this guy's house, and his mom was like, "Oh, you know, has to be spotlessly clean, has to be all of this." That guy was looking under that girl's skirt. Oh, she wasn't paying attention. Just yeah. So these are you're not supposed to feel too bad about these people, right? Because if if they're if they're sick and gross and immoral enough to to hang out with Uncle Les, right? right. Then you're not going to feel bad about them when they turn into zombies. No leopard skin is a nice touch. In a Jerry Lee Lewis kind of way. These cars are beautiful. I like how the camera cuts back and like she's she's gone. And I'm I'm surprised actually. I thought it would have been funny. Like he doesn't it would have been funnier if he didn't even notice. Like if he was just walking along the street yeah, just, just like talking. talking to himself. But but he does he doesn't even bother to go he find out where she's right. Oh, no. That guy reminds me of Spaz from Meatballs. Look at this very complicated Wrap around, backtrack, forward. There he goes doing his lechy stuff. Lechy stuff is awesome. We should put that in the dictionary. The the rug actually surprised me, and I don't know why it surprised me, but it's one of those rare moments. That, I mean, how many times have you seen somebody take a toupee off and it's supposed to cause a laugh, but how many times have you actually laughed? Right. But I actually did not know that was a toupee so i was truly shocked when that thing came off then of course i was like, well of course it was a two why 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 did i even think that it here of course paquita understanding for the first time she discovers the secret the revelation he left because he was trying to protect me and all that bs right he's doing it for my own good I am convinced that half of the effort here is the costumes. Like, if he wasn't wearing the Argyle vest, I don't think that we would look at the character the same way. The vest just makes the the character. And, of course, she goes back to the tarot. Because the tarot tells her everything that's going to happen. Of course, that makes sense that if she's Spanish, she's going to be in the tarot. 
I thought she was supposed to be like some sort of Romany or something like that. Honestly, the whole oh, time really? I've seen this movie, I always thought that she was supposed to be. They're sent to your aroma. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to use the G word in the podcast. <laughs> oh, I didn't. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, aroma's fine. <laughs> Which they don't say. I think we said the actress is Spanish, but right, right. Yeah, it's just when they show the stuff going on early on, like you clearly get the sense. From yeah, her I didn't even think about. It. I didn't make that that connection, but yeah, that makes sense now. <laughs> icing down his balls. Now I gotta hand it to these actors to do this type of stuff. Of course, I'm sure there's not a whole lot of jobs in New Zealand in the late <laughs> eighties, early nineties. Yeah. But at the same time, as here, I want you to sit in this couch and rub your balls with this cold bottle. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Where are you going to put the camera? Right between your legs. Okay. Or put makeup on. See, there's another damn needle shot. Kisses mom goodbye and injects her with what he thinks is poison. Bikita has a very smart series of dresses in this whole film. This being the last one because it's going to be very quickly covered with muck and a disgusting amount of fluid. And we're heading into the uh, third act. Yeah. Bury all the bodies. So hang on tight, kiddies. Yeah. Did you know in that last scene they used so much blood? I, I used to know the number, but I don't know how much it is. But the fake blood it was so thick and sticky and stuff like that. They had to hose that guy down every day because his clothes came out stiff afterwards. Oh, my God. I, I did read in the in the book. The book, by the way, is just called Peter Jackson, a biography. That, so the company that made this movie, Avalon, was the name of the production company. And this was their studio that they trashed this studio. They dragged this fake blood all over the carpets and the offices, all over the, the outer track of the studios, even out into the parking lot. <laughs> and the cleanup was horrible and it was not included in the budget. Here's where it rolls. And we realize and he sees and <laughs> not right. consumption. I thought that was a pretty good plot turn. Luckily, it's coupled with that that shot of the steam coming out of the. Here she hits him with the detergent. Another level of stuff going on there because it says rents when she's trying to clean him. There's the zoom, the famous zoom. A flying baby. You know, for a door that's supposed to be bolted and locked all the time, it sure does open a whole lot. (laughs) 
this was another gross. Oh my god. Yeah, we, we we expect to see people get ripped open from the front in zombie movies, but not the entire rib cage come out. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a whole series of just very gross like this that, oh, was, that was great very cool effect oh there, yeah the red skull effect was that made me appreciate what's going on here he's he's like pulling out her liver or something and showing it to her or her heart lots of uh, grabbing from behind. And of course, faced with fight or flight, he's always going to choose flight. So here the reanimated. Disgusting. And here we kind of move into George Romero type of territory where you've got a bunch of zombies in the house. And just enough Sam Raimi, too. I think yeah, you've got a yeah, yeah. dead. There's so much use of the hands. I don't know. Like I say, I think this stuff fits in perfectly right in that little pocket of time where you had all this stuff. Oh, like, yeah. It's like Evil Dead 2. You know, you had this, you had... A bunch of other stuff. It's like the idea where they're sticking the fingers yeah, through the back the, of your face is, yeah. and stuff like that and tearing it off. So when did the barbed wire get put up on their fence? Right. <laughs> and why do you need barbed wire in your house in Wellington? What is the crime rate right. in 1958? Where's the dumb waiter? And you just yeah. know he's going to get ripped in half. Yes. Love that. <laughs> the Just legs. leaving the leg bones. It's just, oh my Still God. kicking around. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, that, that, was, that was the second effect that I was really impressed with. And he's just walking around with her, just attached to his hand. The light bulb is the third one that I was. Yeah. I just thought those three the, the red skull, the fist through the mouth, and then the, the light bulb. She's eating it off. There's a guy later on, they strip the flesh off his arm, and he's eating the bone of his own arm. Yep. It may have been it right there. Oh. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Jesus. Disgusting. <laughs> Little slapstick moments. You're always going to need more. You know, Tim, Tim Roth, I think, in Reservoir Dogs, talked about there's only nine pints of blood in the body, but Reservoir Dogs, he laid on the floor and they had like 15 pints of blood yep. around him. So basically we need to get to the roof as fast as we can here. That's one thing. It's like, you know, that's that's a trope that I absolutely hate. I don't know why everybody always runs to the roof. Like, that seems to be, in any given situation, the last place that you would want to go. But, like, in all these movies, everybody runs to the roof. 
Or hide in a closet. Yeah. Or hide under a bed. Like, even in Taken, they hide under a bed. <laughs> yeah, you're just like... <laughs> I mean, I guess where else are you going to go? <laughs> Judo chop. There we go. Nasty play. Oh, my God. I can't stand this either. If you can. If you can. I, don't, I don't What is if the you're point? You're not an of... eyeball person. Here <laughs> comes some teeth being extracted. What's the point of pulling the teeth anyway? Oh, it's a squeam factor that. Uh... Yes, what's the point of the zombie movie? <laughs> None. It's an old washing machine on the left there. This is the light bulb girl, isn't she? Yeah. And you think this uh, this brunette's going to make it out unscathed. I thought this was really well done. I have no idea how they pulled this off. Yeah. Boom. And what was really impressive about it is the, the scene goes on. And then in the next few minutes you, they keep you see her in the background of all these fights yeah. that happen in this room and she's still lit up like a Christmas tree oh my god ripped into two halves they both keep going of course it's impressive upper body strength yeah. to leap off the floor like that with only two arms hedges oh, oh nice Oh, the guts falling out. Oh, the spillage. It's great. The black eyes are a nice touch. So and I think this is the, the second thing I saw with the, the toilet. Like, there's one, there's a toilet scene in the Feebles, too. Well, you use what you got, right? And they're actually using the toilet seat to hold them in place. It's actually... It's, it's actually kind of forward because right. the, the most famous toilet scene is train spotting, which mm. is years after this. I thought it was Ghoulies. Oh, Ghoulies. This is before that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I don't think I saw that since it came out. Oh, my God. Now, the entire digestive system. That's disgusting. But in, like, the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> like. Disgusting in a really creative way. Yeah, well, it's, I'm, I'm dead serious because you see these shots and you see them repeated in other stuff. Like, so they had um, the Evil Dead, the TV series, which was, if you haven't seen it, amazing. Like, it might not be your thing because it's got the same level of gore as this and the same level of comedy, but it has, you know, the scene where the deadites come out and everything like that, and he's just in there chopping people up. And by the end of it, he's cleared out, like, an entire morgue full of dead people with a chainsaw and just turned them into liquid. And, like, what's left over is he's fighting at the end of it when he thinks he's going to get away. All of the intestinal debris and everything like that comes in and starts, like, wrapping around his face, you know, like, getting into his mouth and choking him. And, yeah, it's amazing. And, of course, Revenge of the Baby comes back and gets yeah. another girl. 
the blender. And you think, oh, no, they're not going to do that to the baby. Oh, my God. (laughs) The exorcist (laughs) moment. The bile is always a go-to. It's going to fall and... Save the food processor for another day. It's like the third time he gets (laughs) hit in the balls. Now, that looked like a child. That's a stuntman, yeah. Yeah, that was... Walking away. Another great moment getting the gnome head. Well, and Jackson is, you see it a, a little bit in this film, and there's there's a lot of it in Meet the Feebles just because of the, the structure of the puppets. And, of course, it's all over Lord of the Rings. He's a real master of using force perspective. Yeah. You know, he'll put uh, two people who are exactly the same size in a, in a scene and it just makes it look like they're you know, jolly green giant right next to Jack. Like you said, get the light bulb girl kind of just in the background. Yeah. Nice effect. It's a really good set dressing. I mean, it that really is so good. It it, it does think if, if they did that today, it'd be 100% CGI. Yeah. They would just paint that woman's face green and do the rest of it from there. All practical effects. I think Lionel's starting to piece together the fact that. (laughs) 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 His father had cheated on his mother, someone else. And then. So uh, so is that is that his father or is that the girl? That is the girl. That's the girl. That's the blonde that he's having dreams of. I mean, that's right out of Romero. Big-ass meat cleaver. Not how you perform a lobotomy, by the way. Right. Oh, my God. I like the uh, the two fingers you showed there to... And the FU symbol, which is different here than it is in New Zealand. I thought this was actually pretty smart how they used the uh, the wire right in the house. And how he falls down and it pulls her back up. Uh, that's pretty ingenious yeah. use of physics. And we still have like 25 minutes to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the blood splattering on the ceiling. Love the cartoonish it. violence there, yeah. Now, Ben, refresh my memory on this talisman that's being kicked around the floor. So, it serves absolutely no practical purpose. It is her grandmother, when she was telling her, like, reading her tarot cards, was more or less somewhere along the lines of, like, you will meet a man, 
you will have this romantic relationship because it starts off with her searching for a dude and uh, tells her like the guy will be surrounded by death so forth and so on and make sure that you give him this talisman that will protect him in some way shape form it's never really explained to my knowledge and he just kind of carries around the talisman and every time he pulls it out it's your you know deuce ex machina right like he needs the door to open so he holds this thing up oh, and, i love that shot the door there. opens the meat grinder and all the ground meat kind of comes out through the neck hole where the gnome was fourth time this i think's the fourth ball here yeah and he got kicked in the balls by somebody else's foot yeah huh? found a torn off leg but you're right you kind of that that talisman supposed to kind of offer him protection does it i don't know he seems to get bit a lot or almost bit a lot still walking around but you also notice that it's pointy so you kind of figure that's probably yeah that's gonna, where it's coming to play up. yeah that's the foreshadowing i think you know you it's going to end up being used as a weapon more or less No, that's every movie, whether it's a cane that has a knife in it or a shotgun with a surprise bayonet. The scepter in, um, what's the space, not the last navigator. So I didn't, okay. And how'd that thing explode? I don't know. At this point, stuff's happening so fast. You. Yeah, this is where I was. I would. I I almost didn't finish the movie. I just thought this is really. Is it the fifth time he got uh, kicked in the walls? Yep. Oh my god! Fifth and last. <laughs> so you see the entire spine yeah. come out. Yeah, she pulls a predator. Or Mortal Kombat or whatever. I don't think there's a whole lot of people that are going to be missing, Uncle Les. I don't think so either. air hockey with the head and then here yeah. here comes the lawnmower here comes the conquering hero so you think that's a two stroke engine or does that just run off of unleaded <laughs> I had never considered thinking about that when watching this movie <laughs> well it just has seems like it's got a lot of power and yeah it, it really puts up to the, the lubricant quite well What I find weird is if you watch this movie, so you realize, like, he, he fights back kind of, sort of, like, the whole movie, but it's all, like, happenstancically, I guess you'd say. And then just for no reason, like, there's not really that break where something pushed him too far, and now he's really, really going to fight back. It's just, here he is, fighting for his life, barely making it out the whole movie, and then just, out of the blue, here he comes with a lawnmower. <laughs> So now we get the food processor being used. Oh, my God. You can't allude to it and not use it. Yeah, I guess I guess putting the baby in the food processor, even if it was a zombie baby, was going too far. Yep. You see, he protects the queen. Turns her image away. Oh, yeah, I didn't catch that. That's pretty <laughs> good. Uh 
like she's using it as a disposal. Oh, just the <laughs> muck. Just. So is this the most gory movie ever made? I don't know. It's kind of hard to quantify. I cannot think of a more gory movie. Um, I have seen a few, in all honesty. But they're not it, They're not this good. <laughs> like, it's just, you can't pass just, up this level of gore. And it, have just, it. it seems like there's people off camera just throwing buckets onto him. Because you can kind of see the... How it slaps And on there's Uncle guy. Les, the yeah. return of Uncle Les. Oh my god. I think I missed this. I must have been playing solitaire <laughs> on my phone. Oh my god. Get the spit in his face. Oh yeah. <laughs> So somewhere out there, there's a version that has another 17 minutes, oh. including some things that were cut for the censors. I, I couldn't imagine <laughs> another 17 minutes. And what is in that 17 minutes? Do you know? Well, apparently there were some plot scenes, so it probably wasn't all gore. But maybe there's another five to ten minutes of gore. Um, of course, there there is an R-rated theatrical version that... Um, it's about 10 minutes less gore, and apparently it's, it's just a hull of this movie. So I think we're probably seeing the optimal version of this. I did see see Trey Parker and Matt Stone talk about what they cut out of Team American World Police. And I was thinking, you cut something out of that? <laughs> <laughs> like that that was, I mean, the skatology scene with the puppets, was right. that that was an R? What, what did you cut? And then I, then I was thinking, I don't want to know what you got. Right. Last great uh, lawnmower shot. <laughs> see so much clo or so much blood flying around, but never any fragments of fabric. Well, and all of that, of course, yeah. is, is melded with stop motion. Yeah, it's it was really really well done. Oh my god. Oh yes. my god. <laughs> See stuff like that. That's why I, I absolutely <laughs> love practical effects, man. So there's have you have you heard of the trilogy for this series of movies called Hatchet? No. So that's that's the same kind of thing as this. Where it's you have this guy that's just in love with practical effects and decided to do a slasher movie. So what you have is like just tons of mannequins, tons of like prosthetics, tons of stuff like that. There's a scene where they have a, uh, it's like an eight foot chainsaw, where you have like kind of a Friday the Thirteenth, Jason Voorhees type guy come out, and what they do is hold this guy down over about two minutes and slice him completely in half on like an eight foot chainsaw. But it has all the prosthetics and stuff like that. So it's just, it's fun to watch. Like, you can't, like you're saying, when you G CGI everything, like that scene where the baby tears the face in half, it wouldn't have been half as fun. No, and it would not have been. I don't know if fun's the right way to say that, but. Well, and, well, this this is not made with any sinister or dark 
intention. This is, like you were saying, camp. And it is all in good fun. I mean, I've seen an unrated version of Caligula where they hang this woman upside down and they put a wedge, you know, and then some dude with a huge hammer is hitting the wedge Mm. and splits the body apart. That's not made in camp or humor or good fun. It's actually quite disturbing and I think says a lot about the producer of that film who also owned Penthouse Magazine. You know, where I, I saw one with Kurt Russell. Usually, I don't even remember the name of the movie. Maybe it was Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. Oh, yeah. they, they, they saw they the person in half with a... Yeah, I mean, probably was from the same slit you're talking about. Just yeah. disgusting. So here's that King Kong moment. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I have read s- several people who think that if you have to revert back to King Kong, you don't really have a really good, like an ending to your film. But I, particularly in a su- supernatural setting, that I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, Ghostbusters, just as an example. But I was not a fan of King Kong, the remake. Either of them. So after the speech, it seems like this just gets drawn out, yeah, unnecessarily. Like this, from this moment, this this should be like five minutes credits, but that's not what happens. Oh, my God. I mean, she looks like Joan Crawford. In, right. Uh, oh, what was the movie with Faye Dunning? Mommy Dearest? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was intentional. Did you know that, that the, the person playing the younger version of him is actually that actor's son, if I'm not mistaken? Really? Yeah. Because mm. that's why they look... I was going to say, very good, very, very similar. similar. Oh, just, just gross. And just when you think it can't get any more disgusting, the there reinsertion into the yeah. movie is disgusting on every level, metaphorically, physically, metaphysically. And then, of course, how he gets out. It's almost like a Jonah and the whale type of situation. Or what was the Guardian, Guardians of the Galaxy with Drax? Oh, and yeah, yeah, Guardians yeah. 2. The worm. And Our face falls off here. Yeah, revealing the... So this kind of got sort of like alien resurrection vibes to me. Just the end of that film with the alien and Ridley. Is that the one where it kind of gets sucked out through the hole in the spaceship gradually? As you see here, kind of the the birthing scene. <laughs> oh my lord! And then he just arrives, emerges, and he has the talisman. 
placenta. Yeah. (laughs) He's reborn. Another resurrection scene. Let's go ahead and kiss while we have all this muck on our face. Because that's real sexy. The one thing I've always thought about whenever, and I, I know that movies are movies. They're just entertainment and everything like that. But have you ever noticed how many zombie movies there are out there where people are just killing tons of zombies they get the blood the gore the all the you know just body parts and viscera and gross stuff all over themselves but yet that isn't what changes you into a zombie like if you get bit if you get touched or anything like that a small amount of saliva is enough that that's it you're done for but like apparently getting soaked in yeah getting soaked in zombie blood porous or anything like that Yeah, what are you doing? Take a damn shower first. Exactly. Rub some sanitizer on your face before you... Because it's not even the first kiss for them, you know? They've they've been together, so they can wait for a shower. Fleeing the scene of credits. (laughs) (laughs) And so there it is. Uh, Brain dead or, or, or dead alive. Take your pick. All right, any final words, Ben? So, no, not really. If anybody watched this movie and they liked it, I'm glad you liked it. It's one of my favorite movies. You know, it's, it is, as far as I'm concerned, a cinematic gem. <laughs> Paul? So, I, I, I love this on its own merit just because it is so insane. But I, I think there's kind of a, a perverse joy in seeing the early student film-like attempts of somebody who went on to be a very successful filmmaker. I mean, Peter Jackson the fourth highest grossing director of all time. Um, and this was, you know, just three movies removed from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. Let that, <laughs> let that, let that yeah. Let that sink in a little bit, but, um, but no, that this is, this is fantastic. So yeah, you do see, I don't know if you can really look at this and see, Oh, I see how Lord of the Rings kind of evolved from this other than using a couple buddies from New Zealand uh, that obviously it took a big leap in <laughs> filmmaking ability uh, between this project and that one. But uh, no, this is just, just so much fun. Um, so this actually did come out of the U.S. and, and, and did get a, some pretty good reviews. I think it's got an 89% score on Rotten Tomatoes. You're shit. 89%. Man. So I think my favorite uh, um, quote from a reviewer, L.A. Times said, it makes something like Reanimator seem like a UNESCO documentary about Mother Teresa. <laughs> That is beautiful. <laughs> that is a poem, sir. So, so still, still banned in Germany, South Korea, Singapore. It was banned in Finland, although it did eventually get unbanned and, and released in Finland. Banned but, in Germany? Banned in Germany. Fucking nothing should be banned in Germany. Yeah. You can walk down the street of any place you live in Germany and see a monument to a war crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think anything should be ever banned in Germany and, and or yet, Poland for that this, And yet this is, right. So so that's just kind of a, a little bit more about just kind of the spectacular thing that, that is Dead Alive. So so this did come out in, in New Zealand. It was a big hit. Apparently it swept uh, all of kind of their version of the Oscars, the, the New Zealand Film and TV Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Actor. 
in 1993. Oh, my God. So the next year, the piano came out. So, <laughs> so you, you got to imagine that <laughs> maybe it was a matter of what it was up against or what it was what not up against. Very bad. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So to refresh my memory, that's yeah. Peter Weir's film with uh, Anna Paquin. Jane and- Campion. Jane Campion, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And Harvey Keitel and Holly Hunter right. played the deaf one. Came very close to beating Schindler's List at the Oscars. Shit, right? it so, <laughs> well, let's just bring it back to the Germans then. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with Paul and Ben and I as we went through their favorite film, Brain Dead. Thanks to Paul for picking that one out. The Super 70 Podcast is found wherever you find podcasts, but you can find me, my books, and my blog at www.thatdillandavis.com. Check out Rosalind McPhail at her website, rosalindmcphail.com. I'm Dylan Davis, and we'll see you next time in the interface.